Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Our text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. This is the word of the Lord. Be Be seated. Whenever the words the last days appear in Scripture, we, we can't just assume, as is all too common, that it is referring to the days just before the coming, uh, the second coming of our Savior. I think that's where m- many of us default, and it's, um, it's not good. What helps us determine the meaning of last days in our passage is what the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 5, the last verse we read. Avoid such men as these, right? Avoid such men as these. This is contemporary to Timothy at this point, right? This is contemporary. So these last days have come uh, for Timothy. Apparently, uh, those last days that Paul has in mind are shortly to take place. He, He does use the future tense. Because the sinners he describes are to be avoided by Timothy in the church during that day. So I think we can conclude that the, what the Holy Spirit had in mind when he inspired the words, the last days, are either one, the days after Jesus' resurre- resurrection and ascension, all the days between that point and Jesus' return, or the final days of the Judaic aeon before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Right? If we take it as, if we go with either one of those options, the warning given by the Apostle Paul has significance and authority and application for us now and today. The Apostle, and, and certainly to Timothy at that time, it wasn't just Paul waxing eloquent about something that was going to happen way, way off in the future. This was now. The Apostle tells Pastor Timothy. Difficult times or hard times, even, even this could be translated violent times, will come. Timothy is not, can't be naive about what he's gotten into and what the days are going to be like. What difficulties he will face. The apostle has been 
sobering him up through two letters of the difficulties of this task, right? We've been going through these letters for quite some time, and Paul's been one thing after another, sobering Timothy up to the, the, the task that he's been called to, um, the, the, to the realities of being a servant of Christ in a hostile world. Um, difficult times will come. Difficult times will come. That's a, that's a promise for the whole age of the church, right? Difficult times will come. Even if you're a post-millennialist, you still hold that even at the end, there'll be difficult times to come because there'll still be sinners in this world, right? This reality should come as no surprise to followers of Jesus Christ. He, our Savior, said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Right? They've called the head of the house Satan. They're going to have worse things to say about the children in that house. And then John fifteen twenty, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And in just a few verses ahead, the Apostle Paul writes, Indeed, this is in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right. So we shouldn't ever be surprised by this fact. It's in Scripture. Our Savior told us about it. It's clear that Christians will be persecuted for the name of Christ. Christians will be persecuted. And so Christians should have an expectation of difficult times in this world. And the reason that the Christian will have a difficult time in this world beyond you know, being hindered by indwelling sin that we all uh, deal with is we're surrounded by sinners whose deeds are evil. We're surrounded by sinners whose deeds are evil, Right? It's not like a blank slate out there, right? It's not like everybody's nice and happy. We're surrounded in this world by wicked sinners, right? Whose hatred is especially reserved for the triune God and for those who preach that Christ is king. Remember this in Romans 8, 6. It says this, For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that those who are in the flesh can't please God? Like categorically, they cannot do it Not even once. I think we don't think like this. I think those are radical thoughts. I think those scripture confronts us with thoughts like that. We think generally people are a mixture of good and bad. Don't we? But scripture says, no, it's all bad. It's all bad. They cannot please God. It is because of that hostility toward God and by extension toward those who call on the name of the Lord that difficult times come for God's people. In fact, if we are not persecuted, if difficult times don't come for you or for me, 
then we are doing something wrong. Jesus taught us, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in this way. Woe to you if everybody speaks well of you. If this isn't driven home by the words of our Savior, the depth of the depravity listed by the Apostle Paul in these few verses should. The difficult times come when people pursue their sins and lawlessness. Right? Here's the description of those who hate God. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of of the good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I mean, generally, what are, we, what are we to make of this list? These are, these are terrible sinners. And in so far as we resemble them, we must repent, right? That's the first thing that comes when we read lists like this. It's the first thing that comes when we read Ezekiel, the chapter we read when we're, we're confronted by the holiness of God and the sin of the people is to, is to, uh, is to reflect on the, our, on the ways that we fit in to this list of the, the lawless and the godless, right? But Christ has set us free from our bondage to sin, and it no longer re- reigns over us, correct? Has set us free from those. So if there is conviction that comes from this list, you should repent, and you can repent. That's the encouraging thing, is you can repent, Those that this list describes are in bondage to sin. They are held captive by sin and held captive by the devil to do his will. Now let's step through this list, though though Calvin says you shouldn't. Um, It goes against his good advice. He writes this in his commentary. To spend time in explaining every word would be superfluous. For the words do not need exposition. Right? And I think that's a good point. We, all of us can't say I'm clueless about what it means to be brutal. Right? We all have a sense of what all these things mean. And, and he goes on, he says, Only let my readers observe that self-love, which is put first, may be regarded as the source from which all the other vices flow. He, he who loves himself claims a superiority in everything, despises all others, is cruel, indulges in, coven- indulgence, indulges in covetousness, treachery, anger, rebellion against parents, neglect of what is good, and such like. So he says the first one's key, everything else flows out of that. Well, what he said earlier, though, is, is more important, I think. Um, we know what these mean, and we like to lie to ourselves to give us a pass. But... I'm going to go through them one by one so that we can, so that we're all groveling and lying on the floor by the end of the sermon. Okay, lovers of self. I thought we were supposed to be lovers of ourselves, right? Do do we not hear that message all the time? Isn't that what our school teachers and pop stars tell us? You know, you got to love yourself. You got to be true to yourself. You got to 
you know, you got to believe in yourself. Um, no, no, we are not to be like Narcissus, which is what most self-love is like today. Narcissus, the guy who, who saw his own reflection in the waters and, and fell in love with himself, right? That sort of self-love. We're not to look into the mirror and think about our beauty, right? We're not to... We're not to think about serving ourselves. We, in fact, should have a healthy self-loathing, right? As we recognize our rebellion against God and his commands. Insofar as we recognize Christ in us, we should uh, love what we see. Our culture does not understand this and so largely teaches people to put themselves first. I mean, that is, that is what everything is. Put yourself first. You've got to have me time. You got to, you, you've, you've got to look out for number one, right? And that often leads to an exclusionary love of self, a self-centered love, right, that does not serve others. They will also be lovers of money. Now, need I even elaborate on this one? We, as a culture, love money. We watch television programs on the stock markets and how to invest. We read books on how to retire with millions. But some of that can just, I mean, some of that obviously is stewardship. But when it, when it pivots into becoming love of money, that is when a person would rather have money than God himself. That man finds more security, more joy, more comfort from a a healthy mass of money than he does in an omnipotent God, right? And he makes no bones about it, and that, that leads to the next. The third, boastful. The wealthy man boasts in his wealth, right? The strong man boasts in his strength. The smart man boasts in his smarts. And a boastful man does not recognize what? Fundamentally, a boastful man does not recognize that all that he has has come from God. Right? He asserts his own omnipotence. Right? The boastful man asserts his own omnipotence, which is not really omnipotence. It's just laugh, laughable weakness. Fourth, arrogant. Proverbs 28 says, an, American, an arrogant man... I almost said American. Eh. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. An arrogant man stirs up fighting, right? Arrogant men and women will, will not be taught and will not listen to even reasonable arguments. They simply think that what they know is all that needs to be known. And they are continually dismissing all the wisdom of everybody else. This kind of person always shows themselves above others, above others looking down. Revilers, Revilers are evil speakers. They're blasphemers, right? They rail against that which threatens them, right? That's, that's usually when the railing comes out. If there's some sort of threat, you've got to fight back, and you do so with words. Revilers love slander. They cannot and will not keep from saying evil, even when that evil can't be proven or has been proven to be false time and time again. Revilers use words to damage Sixth, disobedient to parents. Scriptures say that all men are to honor their father and their mother. These people will not follow the commands of even their closest authority. They hate their parents 
And they hate when their parents tell them what to do. Right? They think of how terrible it is to dis- disobey parents. I mean, for a moment, children, think about how terrible it is when you disobey your parents. First thing that needs to be said is you're disobeying God when you disobey your parents because of this commandment. But second of all, think of this. They brought you into this world through their love. They cared for you when you couldn't care for yourself. And then God has said he gives them authority over you. And you could care less. You could care less. You, you are your own seven-year-old man. To reject the authority of parents is one of the most obvious indications that a person has rejected God and his authority. It's one of the just most obvious this holds true for not just the young, but the old as well. There's, there is honoring of parents that must be done. And many of us have thrown off honoring our parents with our words, with our actions, with our deeds. And that is ungodly. Seventh, ungrateful. It is misery to be around people who are ungrateful. It's miserable. I think there's nothing worse than being around ungrateful people. Um, you could take them to a three-star Michelin-rated restaurant. That, apparently, that's the highest rating. And they would grumble and complain about the temperature of the ice water or something. So, you know, the, 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 um, the shape of the, the tablecloth would be off. This ungratefulness marks the unbeliever. This is the life of the unbeliever. He's ungrateful. Believers have this as their calling, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? The ungrateful person can't give thanks to God for what is good, refuses even to do so, but the Christian can give thanks for the good and the bad, knowing that all things are brought to us by God. Eighth, unholy. What do the angels around God declare? They declare holy, holy, holy. He does not sin. God does not sin. And all that he does is righteous. The unholy person does not care that God is holy. Does not care about God's holiness nor of his own holiness. Right? He does what he can to please himself without stopping to think of his actions are unholy. He has no morals. In fact, like many rebels, he thrives on living scandalously. Breaking the law. The unholy delight in evil. Nine, unloving. He, this person, he or she, is without natural affection. Without natural affection. He does not seem to be motivated by, by concerns for others at all. Unloving. Um, no, no thoughts of others. It is all inward, all self. The world is like a, a vacuum chamber for their own perceptions. And it forces everybody else out of it. Ten, irreconcilable. Jesus said, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now that verse always makes me tremble. It makes all of us tremble because... It's so easy for us to be irreconcilable, to bear grudges, right? 
the irreconcilable person feels no compulsion to forgive others. They falsely discern that others have sinned against them, but never them against others. They demand apologies, right? You know people who demand apologies, but never, never admit their own sin in the situation. Again, this is one of the greatest distinctions between believers and unbelievers. Those who have been reconciled to God, though their sins against them deserve hell, know their obligation, right? Indeed, the joy of reconciling with others. The unbeliever does not and will not. It is agony for the unbeliever and the irreconcilable man to to forgive. 11, malicious gossips. Another one dealing with the mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, says Proverbs 18.21. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Gossip knows this truth. Gossips, they know this truth and they determine to destroy and kill with words. They know the power of words and that's, that's why they like to gossip. Anything they witness or hear that's reportable about someone else, they report in inappropriate ways. They whisper, they twist words, they falsely report. They generally delight in causing trouble with speech. They take the trouble of someone else and throw the gasoline of public knowledge on top of it. Right? Gossips are heartless and don't recognize their own sinfulness that could be the occasions of all kinds of gossip. They are unwilling to show anyone grace or the benefit of the doubt. Twelve, without self-control. Or better yet, this could be translated powerless or impotent. People lacking self-control do not have a will that says no to them. They don't have this inner dialogue that ever says no. Right? They simply go from one self-pleasing action to the next not stopping to think on whether or not, you know, they, they should have refrained or whether or not they hurt somebody else. To lack self-control is to be at the mercy of every one of your godless fantasies. You're at the mercy of your fantasies, right? If you lack self-control and want to feel good, you turn to your pleasures. If you lack self-control and get in an argument, you, you'll turn to lies and maybe even fists, right? If you lack self-control and someone accidentally says something unkind and not even meaning to say something unkind, you become unhinged. You can't let it go. 13, brutal. Like a wild animal, brutal people cannot be predicted. An unpredictable wild animal. Reason will not keep them from action. Arguments will not keep them contained. They will tear into an innocent victim like an abortionist tears into a baby in the womb. 14, haters of good. Notice that this is not saying just lovers of evil. That is covered elsewhere. But these people hate good. Right? They despise marriage. They despise the blessings others receive. They despise kindness. They despise, ultimately, God, who is all good. He's the source of all good. The bitterness of their souls and the self-centeredness of their entire being has become so powerful that they can only hate good. Such is the danger of giving into the bitterness of our hearts, right? 
we just begin to hate good. If you've ever called a good person goody two-shoes, you hate good. That's what you do. You hate good. You're, you, you hate prudishness because it convicts you. Fifteen, treacherous. The word here can also be translated betrayers. The treacherous have no loyalty. They are like Judas who betrayed Jesus for the pleasure of 30 pieces of silver. Betrayers. 16, reckless. The reckless act and then think. Right? They stumble into conflict. They gamble away their children's inheritance without once thinking of their genuine needs. There is nothing to check their actions. The reckless couldn't care less about others. 17, conceited. As I've mentioned before, this word uh, translated conceited means in the Greek to wrap up in smoke. Right? Conceited people hide their true selves, their sinful selves, in a thin veneer of intellectual pride or academic pride or blue-collar pride, working-class pride or greedy pride, whatever it may be. Anything, they'll wrap themselves in anything that, that conceals their weaknesses. Right? The conceited think too highly of themselves they have determined that it is too costly that they be truly known, right? They, the conceited can't stand the weaknesses of others, right? The conceited can't stand the weaknesses of others. That is so far from the way that our Savior was, right? 18, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think this one stands out for us in ways. I think this is a sin that many of us uh, indulge ourselves in. We would rather be entertained than worship. Right? Worship is work. Entertainment is is not work. It's fun. Right? And so I, I think um, I think our cell phones exist because of pleasure. I think our technology exists because of pleasure. I think our cities exist because of pleasure. I think our culture really it's God is pleasure. And so. Right here, we have one of the most difficult idolatries that the Christian has to kill, right? You know, unlike Moses, who decided to endure ill treatment with the people of God, rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, these people live for intoxication, for sex, for the high life. Uh, That, brothers and sisters, is a substitute for the love of God in this case. They consciously choose to enjoy life absent, or so they think, of God's gaze. Right? They, they would rather have a 12-hour high than an eternal paradise. Right? They hate God, and they choose to love this world rather than the creator of this world. They can be recognized in this way. They can be recognized by their obesity. They can be recognized by their drunkenness. They can be recognized by their incredible capacity for entertainment. Right? They can be recognized by the amount of funds that go toward making them laugh. Their God is pleasure. 19, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Now the twist comes in this last one on the list. The verse implies that these men and women are within the church. Within the church, they hold some form of godliness. They make a show of demonstrating some Christian virtue, but it's just a show. It, no, it, it doesn't go any deeper than, than appearance. They think they, 
that the Holy Spirit is impotent. They think the Holy Spirit is impotent, and, and who cares anyway, right? There's something they can gain from godliness in worldly terms, and they do not expect at all that godliness would lead to any sort of reformation of life or doctrine, which is not what they want, right? They, are only, they only have outward posture with no inward holiness, right? Let me say that this 19th part of Paul's list that this is one of the great difficulties of serving within the church, right? Wolves are not content to live outside the church. Wolves love to get within the pen of the sheep and attack. They have an appetite to bring down others. They do just enough to appear godly, but they afflict the church with their wicked sins and pride and unwillingness to be taught in love of pleasure, right? They actively oppose the things of God and will do so until the Son of God returns to assign them a place in hell. And especially hard is this. The sheep often get upset when the shepherds deal with the wolves, That's maybe harder than dealing with the wolves is when the sheep get upset with you for dealing with the wolves. They simply see the outward form of godliness. But lacking discernment, the sheep, they overlook or do not see the sinfulness or divisiveness of many. You should want to have shepherds who are vigilant to oppose false teachers in our midst and wolves that would devour the sheep. Right At this point, Um, That's why I'm very vocal about the wolves of the queer Christian movement, right? They appear godly. They appear to be holding um, uplifting friendship. They appear to be um, holding the historic Christian sexual ethic, which they're not. But they appear godly, all about the love of God and compassion towards sinners, but they deny godliness's power. Right? They deny the radical change of conversion in life in Christ, and they are leading people to hell. They are heretics. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, of course, after going through this long list of sins, we all see ourselves and our actions in this list of the 19 sins. Some yes, some no. Some more weighty and some less weighty. Um, the person I'm truly concerned about is the one who doesn't see himself in this list. Right? Who has no conviction by the Holy Spirit. Very probably that person is sinning in the ways described with, with just blind abandon. He's in bondage to those sins and does not even know he's in bondage to those sins. And, and so it's, it's the ones who feel no conviction from this list where I say, repent. Repent. Find Christ. Do you not know that God is holy and that God will judge every man according to what he has done? Finally, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. 
That's from 2 Thessalonians. We're not to try to win so-called brothers who live in sin but put on a show of godliness. We are to avoid such persons. That's what the scripture says. We're to avoid them. We're not to win wolves in sheep's clothing. We're to avoid them. Why? Because they will draw you into their sin. They will convince you that you are being overscrupulous. You're an overscrupulous Puritan who needs to relax and enjoy life and, you know, in that way worship God. They will convince you that it is not holiness you need, but pleasure and relaxation that you need. It is not God you need, but happiness. Avoid such men as these. Right? There is a time when it's good not to overestimate yourself. Right? We often tend to overestimate ourselves. Right? There is a time for simple avoidance and turning away from sin and sinners. Get away. Right? Joseph with Potiphar's wife. One of the painful but inevitable parts of coming to faith in Christ is there are dear friends that that we had that we realized we can no longer be friends with, right? Or, or even be near. But what is most precious to you, right? Can you be content with Christ alone? Can you be content with Christ alone? Can we give up what is temporary for what is eternal? That's, that's I mean, that's every page of scripture is asking us to do that. Will you give up what's temporary for what's eternal? And the eternal is so much more glorious. It's so much more beautiful. It's so much more powerful. The command for Timothy is to avoid such men as these. Of course, he must do battle with them so that their leaven doesn't leaven the whole lump. But, he must, but this is what he must not be with them. He must never be casual with them. He must never be casual he can't oppose them from the pulpit and then go meet them for lunch and apologize for everything that he's just said. Right? No, I think, I think we overestimate our ability to steer clear from the sins and arguments of the godless. We do not take ourselves out of the world, but we do use wisdom with those who fake godliness and at the same time live for pleasure and, and hatred of God. There, there is, this, that is... We can't be casual with wolves. Wolves are dangerous, right? Wolves would love to devour you. Wolves would love to pull you out of your protection. And so I pray that, you know, may we have godly discernment and use that, especially with false teachers that will continue to arise. And may we heed the Holy Spirit's warning to avoid such men. You can't handle the arguments that they'll engage you in. You can't handle the arguments that they will engage you in. They will simply seduce you to the pleasures that you want anyway. Okay, so have discernment. If you, if you have a right understanding of your own weaknesses... You will know there are places to avoid and places to, where you, you can be helpful, right? When you're dealing with false teachers and you're dealing with wolves and you're dealing with so-called brothers that are putting on a show of godliness, be very careful. They will have cultivated 
a sophisticated use of words to seduce you. May we heed the Holy Spirit's warning to avoid such men. To do so will lead, I mean, to do so will lead to the purity of Christ's bride and to, and to the honor of God, but also to our strength, our own individual strength. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, these, these strong words, these convicting words, these words that, that help us to frame uh, false teachers and false brethren in the depth of their depravity, their heartlessness, their brutalness, other, their, their, their love of self, their hatred of all good. Father, I pray that we would never, never be in the company of those who, who live openly in such a way. If we do, Father, I pray that we would have your words on our tongues to rebuke. And again, Father, insofar as we have participated in these evil deeds, Father, we, we ask for your forgiveness. And we look for the renewing of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.